and welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreel.com. We are looking at John Favreau's 2008 film Iron Man, and back with me today is Eric Deutsch from the Escape from New York Minute. Welcome back. Thank you very much. I feel like I should call you Snake. <laughs> <laughs> the name's Pliskin. <laughs> Uh, we are looking at Iron Man Minute 97 on today's show. The minute starts with an absolutely paralyzing phone call, and it ends with Obadiah slowly starting to pull the mini-arc reactor out of Tony's chest. Ouch! This is a rough minute for Tony. Yeah, yeah. And it's a great minute for the two actors also. They both do a great job. Tony, without saying anything, uh, Robert Downey Jr. does a great acting job without any dialogue, and... Jeff Bridges does a great job with all the all the dialogue, or I guess, well, the monologue. I guess. Yeah, he's. We talked about his uh, his monologuing that he had in the in the uh, <laughs> Sector Sixteen deleted scene yesterday. Uh, he's got a good little monologue in this one too. It's uh, in the next couple. It's kind of a nice a nice beefy uh, bit that he gets to uh, share with with Tony as Tony is uh, paralyzed. Uh, but yeah, we're starting. Uh, you you mentioned yesterday how great the framing was for this and how tony you know sees that it's pepper he and, and then that's the end of yesterday's minute and then today's minute like he puts the phone to his ear and instantly is paralyzed and then then all of a sudden you realize oh obadiah is right behind him it's 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 a really well put together reveal because there's no hint that obadiah is there absolutely none uh i i do not know where he was hiding. This is what I was referring to yesterday's minute. I guess he was behind the couch the whole time. Um, <laughs> that's, that's I, I, I think he must have been lying on the floor. <laughs> I mean, I don't know where else he could possibly be. If he was, I don't know how Tony didn't see his reflection in the window behind him. Uh, but the interesting thing is, at this point, obviously, as the viewer, we all know Obadiah is the bad guy. But right. they actually... The way that they film this scene, they don't reveal Obadiah's face. You know, we, we get about, you know, probably more than 10 seconds of we hear the noise. We see Tony freeze up. We see a hand take the phone away. We see someone, a hand hold the device up to his ear. We see the person's body, but below the neck. And then we hear him speak. So it's almost like they're looking to do this big reveal of it turns out Obadiah's the bad guy when we all already know Obadiah's the bad guy. So what it's actually happening is it's the reveal to Tony that Obadiah is the bad guy. And we're getting to see basically Tony's perspective on that shocking reveal since as the viewers, we already know it. Yeah, I, uh, you know, two points to that. I think I think you're absolutely right. Just getting getting that reveal from Tony's perspective is is so gratifying, and it's it's really the reveal that that Obadiah is not just the business bad guy because Tony knew he was the business bad guy. We had that conversation with them on the steps of the of the uh, outside of the fundraiser when Obadiah reveals, who do you think shut you out? You right. know? But it was very businessy. He didn't realize that Obadiah is behind the hit on him or any of this other stuff going on. And, and Pepper has seen the video, but Tony hasn't. So yes, this is very much that reveal. The other point is that this is, uh, I, I don't know when the shift was in the production line to actually make Obadiah the bad guy, but I feel like 
we're we're hitting that point in the film where a lot of rewrites were happening to kind of adjust from the original Mandarin script and then the Crimson Dynamo, which is I think by the time Jeff signed on, I think it was Crimson Dynamo. And uh, but then shifting everything so that he would now be the bad guy. And so I feel like, it, yeah, it's entirely possible that they just kind of came up with this scene on the fly to say, OK, well, we've got to get him in here now. And uh, I think just by by, you know, sheer smarts as far as uh, constructing the screenplay as frantically as they were while the film was being made, they found a smart way for this scene to play out or for this moment to play out. Even if I do have some questions about it, uh, as we continue our conversation, <laughs> the other thing we, uh, nicely have here is the reveal. If we didn't know that it was Obadiah, um, just because of the nature of him being the bad guy, as soon as he kind of, uh, brings in that little sonic, uh, taser, from behind tony's head that kind of you know it's it's like he it's he's so beautifully comes from nowhere i love the way that he's he's there he takes the phone and this hand just kind of pops out but we know exactly what it is it was great setup and payoff of that of that device and i think they used it really nicely uh to kind of uh to, to kind of play with us here and uh also horrify us because we've seen tony go through a lot of physical difficulties through this film with the uh, shrapnel in his chest and the surgery and everything and now he's doing going through this paralysis with these awful veins on his face and that kind of graying <laughs> skin yeah and you know i mean obadiah used this to uh wipe out um the terrorists yeah raza uh, uh, raza name. right um and it's interesting that he uses it here and obviously in his mind he feels he's leaving tony to die when he when he takes the starts taking the thing out of his his chest uh but he uh i guess i'm jumping ahead to tomorrow's minute um but he he does not kill him though he you know right he leaves right. him to die but he does not kill him as opposed to the last time he used this he had those people all killed uh so you know you get the peril here of you know oh boy he used this uh movie wise he used this 25 minutes ago and everybody died you know is, is he going to try to kill tony right now how's tony gonna get out of this well We'll find out tomorrow, I guess, what happens. I won't jump ahead. <laughs> well, and that's that's interesting because we don't actually see anyone kill Raza in those earlier minutes either. Raza is paralyzed. He goes outside. His men all has have all of the other Ten Rings terrorists rounded up, and they execute all of them. But Raza's fate is left as a kind of a mysterious, uh, you know, I don't know. I, it was one of those guys where... It was almost, I, I almost would have enjoyed seeing him turn up in Iron Man 3 as the Mandarin, because I think that would have been a very fitting shift in the way that they had been kind of building up to things. I think I would have preferred that twist to the actual twist that uh, came about in Iron Man 3 <laughs> for the Mandarin. <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm looking forward very much to, uh, to, to that conversation because I think that's a very divisive uh, decision that they made. Uh, we also have the the reference to the golden goose here, you know, the, which mm. is a, an Aesop's fable, the goose that laid the golden egg. And uh, it's an interesting reference that he has when he's like, you know, I, I worried that I was killing the golden goose when I ordered that hit on you. Again, he's paralyzed, but we've got that element where his eyes can still move. He kind of can flare his nostrils a little bit. So it's not he's not completely paralyzed, but uh, he can still give us those reactions. And so it's great seeing the reaction that he has when... <laughs> 
uh, Jeff Bridges reveals, or when Obadiah reveals, I am the one who ordered that hit on you. Um, but uh, he does reference the the goose that laid the golden egg, uh, which is one of Aesop's fables. And uh, it, that's that whole idea of, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I've heard that expression so much. Are you familiar with that with that fable? Yes, I am. I It was one of those ones that I, I feel like I had heard the expression a lot. And uh, I, I don't think I knew exactly what what it uh, what the reference was to because I don't know I, I probably heard the fable when I was a kid or something. But <laughs> the whole idea of it's this uh, uh, this cottager and his wife they have this hen that lays a golden egg every day and they figure oh if she's laying a golden egg every day uh, she must have a big lung of gold inside. So they kill her so they they can get the gold. They kill her, they cut her open, and they realize, oh, she's exactly the same as every other hen. There is no gold lump. And now they have no gold egg every day. And uh, so they they have killed the goose that laid the golden egg. That's the uh, the fable. Yeah, it ties into sort of the impatience of they don't want to wait every day to be getting just one egg every day. The people, why are we, Why should we wait and just have one egg every day? Let's just open it up and, and get all of it right now. Yes, yeah. yes. And I think it actually works nicely in context of the way that Obadiah uses it about his concern that by placing that hit on him that he would be killing the goose that laid the golden egg. Um, but I love how they turn that around and say, uh, as it turned, as fate would have it, you had one more egg to lay, basically. And uh, as, he, as he starts pulling out the, uh, the arc reactor out of Tony's chest. Yeah, and he doesn't. I think this is a cool. This is a real cool move. That a good villain move. He doesn't even bother lifting the shirt up. He just takes the thing. He puts it right over. It burns right through the shirt to get it. You know, it's just like I don't even have three seconds to waste here lifting your shirt out of the way. I'm just going right in and getting it out. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was wondering about that. I'm like, it's such a strange decision to just go. I'm just going to right through this shirt and just <laughs> burn a hole in it and just pull the thing out. Uh, it's it's so odd to me, but I, I I guess it's one of those things where it makes sense because if you if you think about um, the way that that scenes play, you want to have an opening there uh, later, and I guess we'll talk about that in later minutes. But it's nice having a big opening so that you can kind of get a sense of the emptiness there. But yeah, again. yeah. Well, I, yeah. Well, right. We'll get to that, I guess, later on in my <laughs> week. Right. <laughs> I got a lot to right. say about that thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, I, you know, this is one of those scenes where as a, as a big comic book fan, I wonder how my pre-knowledge affects it. Is it a big surprise for non-comic book fans who know nothing about Iron Man and Obadiah Stane to find out that Obadiah Stane is the main bad guy? You know, I, once I saw when they were making the movie, Jeff Bridges is playing Obadiah Stane. It's like, oh, okay, that's going to be the bad guy in the movie. Um, <laughs> right. But, you know, for someone that's just like, oh, uh, this looks like interesting, I'll go see this. Was this a huge twist for them? Or, you know, was it obvious? Because, you know, why else would you hire Jeff Bridges in this secondary role? Um, I mean, I know at this point in the movie, as the viewer, we already know he ordered the hit. Um, he's already been revealed. But, you know, for the first 40, 45 minutes of the movie or so, you just, he's just kind of a sleazy businessman. You don't know that he's this, you know, sociopath. It's probably, uh, well, and yeah, and I, I definitely think that, um, that there is an element to, uh, to what you're saying about the, the idea of, 
of the villain. And from from my understanding, the way that he was initially set up was that he would be the villain, but like in the second film. That was the initial intention. And it was one of those comic book things where they're introducing these other characters um, so that, you know, the Mandarin or Crimson Dynamo would have been the the main villain. But as they uh, once they cast Jeff Bridges and they realized how how great he was as Stain, they uh, frantically decided, let's start reworking this and just make him the villain. And, you know, it. I, I like that. And actually, I was not familiar with the Iron Man comics. And so I had no idea that Stain was the bad guy. Okay. But you could certainly tell just from the way that his behavior was that, you know, he's not up and up. And, and there's something about him that if he doesn't end up being the bad guy, I guess I wouldn't have been surprised that he was a villain in a later film. Okay. All right. And I guess, I mean, Marvel yeah. has the, I mean, I guess Doctor Strange, um, Marvel kind of did that with Baron Mordo. They waited till the very end of the movie. Uh, to reveal that he's a bad guy. So if there's one where if you don't know it going in, I guess that's a twist. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it is one of those things. I mean, it, Marvel history is so deep that uh, if you're paying attention to all that stuff, or I mean, I mean, all you need to do is look up some character names on like a Marvel Wikia, and you can find out all you need um, beforehand if you don't know anything, because there is so much information about all these characters out there already. So, um, so in that sense, because of the nature of it's based on another property, it's, uh, it's rarely going to be surprising if you're digging for the information. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I like that the the camera work settles in on these fantastic Dutch angles as as this scene plays out, which works nicely to position um, uh, Obadiah and Tony in the shot next to each other. But it also just gives this great kind of off put, you know, sense of everything. It just it feels a little uh, everything feels off. It just works so nicely because of what's happening here. Yeah, I agree. That's a very nicely framed shot. I mean, it 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 fits because Stark is, you know, it, it, you know, his right now. It, it kind of reflects where he physically is right now. You know, he's all askew, and it fits Obadiah because his brain is askew. So it kind of it fits both of them that that angle. Yeah, exactly. You know, so we we see Obadiah. He reaches over and he pulls out this extraction tool that he conveniently has (laughs) did he like have this designed specifically because you know he thought one day he's going to need to deal with this uh this uh, you know arc reactor or maybe it's something that he's had his secret scientists do uh so that they could uh, use it in a way with the new suits i don't know but it's such a conveniently designed tool that seems so specific to exactly what he's doing right here (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't think it has any other use. It is definitely not a <laughs> not a Swiss Army knife type device that could have a hundred different uses. And it's the perfect size and shape of the very thing that he's trying to get as well. <laughs> the circumference is a perfect match. It is. It's so funny how how well designed it is. I it's just I almost think it would have I don't know I feel like it would have worked better if he did pull out like a Swiss Army knife and like (laughs) use it to pry this out it's so convenient I'm like it just where does this come from why do they have this tool that has no other (laughs) obvious use it's so strange it's so strange 
The other note I had was when we have this Dutch angle and we're looking um, right behind Stain, you can see the hole in the ceiling where Tony fell through um, back when he lands on the roof and and falls all the way through it, crushes his piano, falls through that floor and uh, crushes his car down in his workshop. I, uh, it took me a while to figure out that that was the hole I was looking at for a long time. I thought it was like some bald eagle art or something. I'm like, I can't quite tell what that is. I'm like, oh, of course it's the hole back there. How much, uh, have you, have you, do you, have you, do you know how much time has passed in the movie <laughs> since that happened? Cause strangely, Tony would not have had that fixed. Well, that was my question. I'm like, why is this hole still here? Why would they have not dealt with this by this point? I mean, we don't know exactly how much time has passed, but I mean, he's taken, he certainly has taken time to to deal with um, the suit designs because that was back when he's flying around in the Mark II and, and he crashes through the ceiling. And, uh, and we know, I think, around that time, he was on about day 11 of his tests. And so we know, I mean, he moves quickly, but it obviously still takes time. He goes through the whole process of designing the Mark III. He flies around the world and and blows everything up in Gulmira, and he comes all the way back, and now he's kind of in this fervor to destroy all these people who are using his weapons. Um, But I feel like it has to, maybe it's not a month, but there have to be weeks that are going by. And knowing that it's Tony and he has the amount of money that he does, why is this hole still in his ceiling. Yeah, and now it makes no sense at all. And we were also down in his workshop where we were watching him as all of the different robot arms were helping him get out of the uh, the Mark III suit after he gets back from Gomira. And that whole area is is awfully close to that hole that that he created in the ceiling there. And I would think that, okay, in the time that it took him to build all these robot arms so they, they can, you know, uh, put this suit on him and take it off of him, that, that he would have also said, hey, while while you're building this stuff, let's also get that ceiling repaired. Yeah, especially because for him, all he would have to do is say, Pepper, get the ceiling fixed. And then Pepper would go hire a contractor and have it fixed. I mean, it's it's it's... It would take, it's no effort on his part to have the hole in the ceiling fixed. Literally, he would just have to say that one sentence and it would be done. Right. That's all it would have taken. That's all it would have taken. But, uh, but alas, it's not there. So what are we going to do about it? <laughs> say, love <lovey. laughs> He, uh, I'd like to think that at least they, uh, they have something up on the, the top of the house. So if it started raining, at least the rain wasn't coming into the house. I mean, you know, he could spring for a tarp or something, right? <laughs> you think? Uh, he's he's very focused right now. He doesn't have time to deal with these things. <laughs> I, I had a note on the script, and this is—I mentioned this very briefly yesterday. Uh, we were wondering why it took Pepper so long to call Tony. I don't think that the script completely gives us the uh, the answer that we're looking for, but we do have, in the scene, we have it actually say that Pepper uh, has been trying to call him and has been trying over and over and over again, and uh, he's just not answering, and she's getting concerned because of the, the fact that uh, that he's not answering. So, so at least we have this sense that uh, okay, maybe that helps explain why all of a sudden eight or nine hours have gone by. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, I mean I feel like it's that, that seems like a very long time though for her to not 
um, call someone else to check on him or for her to not go back to the house to check. You know, I mean, it's not like it, if, if, if that's the case, it's not like the script is saying it's only been an hour because like you said, it, what did you say um, yesterday? It was one forty-five in the yeah, afternoon. Right. Right. And so now if it's eight, eight thirty at night, I mean, that's a long time for her to not try something else other than just to keep calling him over and over again, especially since by now, she knows that he's Iron Man by now. So, you know, you'd think there might be, you know, oh, is he off somewhere in his armor getting killed? You know, um, she should be doing more than just hitting redial over and over again after that much time. Yeah, at least coming over, right? Bringing, yeah. bringing the guys over. Let's check out his place and see. Because what's what's happening in the script is he is he's so focused on his work that he just isn't even paying attention to the call. He finally looks at his phone. Um, actually, he's not looking at his phone. The the scene actually starts where he's still working on the the machine downstairs. It's actually an interesting difference. He's working on his uh, on his tooling machines, and the screen behind him just lists a whole bunch of calls from Pepper. All of a sudden, Jarvis interrupts him and says, "You have a visitor, sir. Obadiah Stain is here." He goes upstairs. Obadiah's there. He's he's got pizza again. He says it's Uno's four cheese. I just had it flown in from Chicago. <laughs> I love that these guys just fly pizza in from uh. from different places in the country. Um, so this is an interesting scene. He says uh, Tony remains stoic. Obadiah puts the pizza down, crosses to Tony, and hands him a letter. Obadiah, I'd like you to proofread something for me. Jarvis, would you like me to spell check it, sir? Obadiah, can you turn him off all the way? Tony, as he scans the letter. Spin down, Jarvis. Tony looks up from the letter, surprised. Tony, your resignation? Obadiah, you were right. It's not my company. It's not my name on the building. We were a great team, but I guess this is where our paths diverge. Tony hears a blip from the system. Incoming call, Pepper Potts appears. Tony looks to Obadiah. Pepper, I should take that. Obadiah, please. Tony, I'll be out of here in a minute. Tony finally nods, pushes a button, sending the call to voicemail. Obadiah meets Tony's eyes fatherly, puts a hand on Tony's shoulder. Obadiah, we have too much history to part on bad terms. I'd like your blessing. And that's where the paralysis kicks in. Uh, hmm. it's, it's interesting the way, that, uh, the way that it builds here, right? Yeah, because it, it's, it's much more because uh, clearly you know he's planning something. He's got something up his sleeve but you don't know what it is, so it allows the tension to really build. It's a completely different feel than here, where it just comes out of nowhere. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's something about the, the, the fact that Obadiah must be laying on the floor behind Tony, uh, conveniently <laughs> planning this, this, whole, this whole thing. Um, but there's something that makes this make more sense to me, the fact that he came up with a reason to come in. And also, I think it answers questions about Jarvis, like why why did Jarvis never pop in earlier when, when uh, Obadiah is top, talking to Tony? And it was a question I didn't even ask myself until I read this scene. And I'm like, oh yeah, why doesn't Jarvis, you know, comment on the fact that, you know, all of a sudden Tony's pulse is changing or something and like lock the doors in the house or something. I mean, Jarvis has the ability to do these things. And it's, it was, uh, I don't know, it struck me as an interesting point that, uh, that this scene dealt with. Yeah, I actually, you know what, the the absence of Jarvis from this minute, uh, it, it never occurred to me until now, as, until you mentioned it. Um, it also, it actually, it addresses an issue that I had with, with the actual scene, that he doesn't stun Tony until after he's already answered the phone, which then allows mm -hmm. Pepper to know something bad has happened. She hears right. Tony answer, and then he just drops out and never answers again. 
in the scripted scene, he's getting him before he answers the phone, which is much more to Obadiah's advantage. Yeah, because now Pepper knows, <laughs> you know, he's answering the phone. He's right. Somebody, somebody's there. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like there are often times throughout that the, uh, the changes in the script have made better choices um, than when they've when they've finished filming them. They it just it's it's a much smarter, well put together story. This is a rare moment where I feel like this scene actually might have been better. It might have taken away the surprise that we get, but it actually might have played better. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, uh, that's everything I had for this minute. Did you have anything else, or should we uh, continue uh, this tomorrow? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm out of notes for this one. All right. Well, Eric, thanks again for joining me here today. Oh, I did, having lots of fun. It's a, it's a lot of uh, interesting stuff to talk about, for sure. Do you want to remind everybody where they can find you? Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, find Escape from New York Minute anywhere that you get your podcasts, or you can go to our website, which is at growlermedia.com. And uh, you can then chat with us on Facebook, in Brain's Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. We're on Twitter, NY Minute Pod, and my previous Movies by Minute podcast, uh, which is still out there, uh, Flash Gordon Minute. Uh, that's also a Growler Media. That's also anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you want to chat about that one on Facebook, the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. All right, everybody. Well, that is it for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at thenextreel.com slash Patreon. Until next time, true believers. Music.